you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Titus. We'll be in, in two different parts of Titus. And uh, before I read, I would love for us to uh, get a bulletin if you have one and to look at that reflection quote on that first page. And uh, let's read our mission statement together. In case you're visiting with us, we've been taking the month of June to work through our mission and vision statement as a church. And I've tried to unpack different parts of that so that we're unified and we remember uh, what it is that God has called us to, to do and to be here as a, a congregation here in Jackson. So let's read it together. Redeemer Church, PCA, is a multi-ethnic community of Christians committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaiming the good news of his kingdom, both in word and deed, to the Broadmoor, Broadmeadow neighborhoods, the city of Jackson, and the world. There'll be a quiz next week. I'll ask you uh, if you know that from memory. So uh, don't say I did not warn you. So today we'll be focusing in on the part of our mission uh, related to being a church committed uh, to proclaiming the good news of Jesus's kingdom in word and deed. I want to just camp out there with, with those, uh, that, with that phrase. I think Titus is a book, a great book for us to consider this morning. As we think about being a church committed to proclaiming the good news of his kingdom in word and deed, we, 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 we say that for the body and for what we do when we're gathered here in worship and what happens in this church but it's also true that we uh, desire that our members will lean into that as you live your faith out in whatever vocation or whatever lot in life you find yourself in. This is something for the church gathered, and it's also something for the church scattered. I think Titus is a, a helpful book. You'll notice uh, in chapter 1, Paul begins with Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So that's one section I want to look at. Turn over to chapter 2 and look at verse 11 through 15. We'll read this together as well. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we bow before your word and we ask that you would be our teacher. Father, we ask that you would uh, give your servant clarity of thought, that you will protect me from the evil one. We also pray for your people listening. May they receive your implanted word with truth and faith. 
And may you also, Lord, bind the evil one who would seek to distract us that the word of God might not bear fruit. War for us. Holy Father, we pray that the good of Christ and the good of your people might be tasted this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've selected Titus because I think it's a fitting book to, to get at this part of our mission statement. You'll notice at the beginning of, of the section that, that, that Paul says he's an apostle of God. Uh, uh, he's a servant of God. But notice that next phrase, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. He brings up this phrase, the elect. And so whoever Paul is and whatever he's doing, it's for the sake of the elect. Now, the elect is a, a common phrase in the scriptures. You see it, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with the heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul also writes, so I endure all things for the elect, that they too may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus and its, and its eternal glory. So who are the elect? The elect of God are, are those given to Christ before the foundation of the world. The elect of God are those who have died in Christ. The elect of God are those right now on the earth who have a sincere faith and a union with Christ through the gospel. But the elect is also those who have been given to Christ who right now in this moment are living in rebellion. And God is pleased at some point in the future to bring them into his kingdom. And so when Paul talks about an apostle for the, the faith of God's elect and their knowledge, he's actually saying that, that his apostleship is, is for the good and the blessing of God's people, present and future. Now, Paul leaves Titus in a particular place. Titus is one of the pastoral epistles. So Timothy is, is, is a disciple of Paul. And Paul leaves Timothy, this young pastor in Ephesus, to pastor there. Titus is another young man that Paul has discipled. And Ty Timothy is left in Ephesus, but Titus is left in a place called Crete. And it's an island. And what do we know about Cretans? who live on the island of Crete. We don't have to guess. Look right there in chapter 1 of Titus. Look at verse 12. And Epimenides was a prophet. And so here Paul quotes one of their prophets who's giving an exegesis of their culture. And he says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, has said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And then Paul says, what? This testimony about them is true. Y'all hear that? They were so notorious for lying that kretizo is a Greek word that means to lie as Cretans do. That word right there for the, their evil beasts, they're, they're, they're beastly. That, that lazy gluttons, their, their lazy bellies. And so Paul says that prophet talking about that island and the people who live on that island, that's a true diagnosis of you all is what Paul is saying. 
Now, that shouldn't cause us alarm. When you hear Vegas, what do you think about? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? That's the advertising. When you think about perhaps New Orleans and the French Quarter, what do you think about? When you think about Jackson, what comes to mind? Now, that's a norm. It doesn't have to be true for everyone, but, but I think what Paul is getting at it is, is places and people and people groups living in places have idols that they bow to and they worship. And what Paul is telling Titus is that, look, this is the city that you're in. And guess what? I'm leaving you there. Why would I leave you in Crete? Because despite what you see, despite what they're known for, God has people there who has and will bow the knee to Christ. When you think about Jackson, it's hard. You can't drive to work without dodging potholes. And they will cost you a grand. You, you bust a tire and tear up a rim, and the city will not reimburse you. Some of you boil your water. Some of you buy water from Kroger because you won't drink the water. Some of you wrestle with, how do I educate my children here? That there are neighborhoods that you won't dare go into. There's an imaginary boundary in Jackson where most of us will not cross this threshold. It's hard. And what I want to put before you is God has the elect here in this city. And so the question becomes, what does Paul tell Titus to do? As you stay in this hard place and pastor, what are you to do? Because that's the question for us as a church. As we try to be faithful right here and do ministry right here and do life together right here, it can be tempting to be discouraged by what we see around us. But, but, but my question to the text is, Lord, what will you have us to do and to be as we seek to faithfully live lives for the sake of the elect, for the sake of those in Christ and for the sake of those who will be in Christ, who are not yet in him? What are we to do? What's the work? And Paul, I think, tells Titus. And he's telling us. We got to see the kingdom of Christ, even when it feels blinded by the kingdom of this world. So that's the first point. We're going to see the kingdom of Christ, even when it feels blinded by the world. Secondly, we're going to proclaim the good news about the kingdom, even when it's tempting to be silent. And the third point we're going to continue to do the good deeds of the kingdom, even when it seems fruitless. That's what we do. That's how we serve the elect. That's how we serve and faithfully care for one another and the city. Let's start with see the kingdom of God, even when it feels blinded 
George Eldon Ladd has a book entitled Scriptural Studies on the Kingdom of God. If you want to read deeper into this theme, which is all in Scripture, I would commend that little book to you. But he talks about the teaching of Jesus was designed to show men how they might enter the kingdom of God. His mighty works were intended to prove that the kingdom of God was here. His parables illustrated the truths of the kingdom. He taught his disciples to pray, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He promised them that he would appear again on earth in glory to bring the blessedness of the kingdom to those who were prepared for it. In other words, Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual reality. God's people enter into it now. It's an inheritance that he will bestow upon us later, that at the same time, the kingdom of God is a future realm to be entered into and enjoyed. It's called a tiny seed that that is growing. It's also called a treasure that is under the ground that many step on and go past it, but they fail to see it even though it's right there in their midst. And, and what, what, what Ladd goes on to say is that with all of its complexity, there is no simple explanation for what it means, what the kingdom of God means. But he goes on to say this, the primary meaning of the Hebrew word and the Greek word for kingdom is rank, authority, and sovereignty exercised by a king. He says it could be the realm where a sovereign exercises his authority. It may be the people who belong to that realm over whom authority is exercised. But at the center is the authority of a king. Now, I'm aware that kingdom of God is not in our passage. It's not in Titus. But where it lacks in name, it makes up in substance. Here's what I mean. A kingdom as a king, which we'll get to lately, later, but a kingdom also has servants. Did you notice how Paul begins his letter? He says, Paul, a bondservant of God. Right there. That's what you underline. Second, a kingdom implies rule. Paul's a term of rule. Paul speaks about these promises made by God before the ages and then at the proper time being manifested. Turn over to chapter two. He talks about the grace of God having appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Then he talks about waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are all temporal terms letting us know that something radical has happened. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom is chiefly about power and authority. You'll notice what Paul tells Titus. This is why I left you in Crete so that you will put into order. You will take the chaos there and bend it back by whose power? By Jesus's power. You'll notice that Paul tells Titus in verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Whose authority is that? It's not Titus's authority. It's King Jesus's authority. 
that the kingdom of God is all over Paul's writing, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. We exhorted you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ who will judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. And so I think what you're starting to see in Titus is Paul has this big view of the kingdom of God, that it's broken in on the island of Crete. And there's a king who has authority, and this king is Jesus. And what do we know about Jesus? Paul tells us, he says, Jesus, in verse 14, gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. Paul is summarizing the gospel right there. He's saying, hey, I know you're tempted to call Zeus the king, a savior, but let me tell you about another savior, another rescuer, another deliverer who has come in the flesh, God in the flesh, who's come and he's lived a perfect life and he's fought and he's went to battle and he won the battle by losing. He won the battle with the strength of his might by being holy. He did all of this because he loves the elect and and it was no small thing for him to lay down the thing which is most precious to him, his life. Paul is making way that that there is a new king, there is a new sheriff in town, and his kingdom has come. And so Titus, you go out with his, his authority, that his kingdom is breaking in and it's bringing salvation. That what Paul is, I think, is building a case is that grace now flows from that throne. Grace is ours unmerited, undeserving favor, and the blessing of this king is toward his people. And he offers his people a new future, a new status, a new power, a new ethic. His kingdom is real. I think what Paul is saying, go outside and look. I know when you are on the island of Crete, you see liars, and you see deception, and you see idolatry. And you see people who don't want to work. They want to work one day and rest six, which is upside down of how God operates himself. They don't value life. They're self-absorbed. And you will be tempted to think that that's the only reality. And what Paul is telling Timothy, there's another reality. Jesus has come. And he's reigning and he's ruling. And if you're not careful, you will let what you see on the news and what you read in the, uh, in the newspaper, it will begin to eclipse the reality of the coming of Jesus. And what Paul is doing is pushing the clouds of this world back so that the, the rays of Jesus's reign, that, that his people might be reminded that he has come. And if he has come and if he is making all things new, if he is at work, then we can be confident. We can be hopeful. And here's the thing, like the world will not remind you of this. 
All you will see on the news is murder, murder, killing, murder, how hard it is. And there's a whole nother world over here that's happening. The world's not going to tell you that four kids were baptized today. The world's not going to tell you that someone came to faith last week. The world's not going to tell you that someone died and is being buried tomorrow at first prayers. And that sister is stepping into glory and she is around the throne praising the name of the Lamb. The world will not tell you that marriages are being salvaged. The world will not tell you that strongholds are being overcome. The world will not tell you that those who were weak are walking in the strength of the Lord. The world will not tell you any of that. And what Paul is telling Timothy is the grace of God has appeared and God is on the move. And don't you lose heart even though you're on that island. And we got to hear that. We got to remember that. That the picture that we get out there is not the whole reality. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is at work. His kingdom is like a mustard seed that has been planted and it's growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And for believers, we have to keep our eyes on that reality. Now, here's the question. If the kingdom is upon us, and if it's breaking into this world, what do we then do in light of us seeing it? We proclaim the good news of the kingdom in words. So Juneteenth was made a federal holiday this week, and it calls our attention to the disconnect between what's been declared versus what is actually experienced. Slavery was abolished by the letter 1862 to go into effect January 1 of 1863, and Texas is just going to be Texas, right? They didn't want that. And it takes two and a half years from what happened to reach them that you're free. The news traveled. Now think about this. What what the gospel tells you and I is that somewhere on a cross, a war has been fought. And the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, has conquered. And he is freed and is freeing prisoners from their sin and from their bondage and from hell and the flesh. And here's the thing. You have people out there in the world who don't know that they can find freedom in the Lamb. And what God does is he uses the church to be messengers of truth. Like you can be reconciled. You do not have to stay in the slavery of your sins. But here's the thing. It's going to take more than your good deeds. It's going to take words. Did you notice right here in chapter, chapter 2, verse 15, after Paul says that, he says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke. Declare what things? What do you want Titus to be declaring on the island of Crete? To people who are liars, who are lazy, who are beasts, what do you want him to be, be declaring? The context says it. Brother, grace of God has shown up. Jesus has atoned for your sin. 
He's enthroned. He's ruling and reigning and breaking strongholds and giving new life. That's what Titus is to be declaring on this island. But, but, but let's do a, a little exercise because the reason I think Titus is so important is because this isn't the only place where you get the declaring and proclaiming in word. It starts from the beginning. Look at chapter 1, verse 3, at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching. So Paul just says, I'm set apart for the faith of the elect, those who know Christ and those who don't know him now but will. My goal is to bring them to faith through their knowledge. Well, Paul, how will they who are behaving like this and living like this come to faith? They're going to come to faith through what? Through the word being preached. Look at the next session. When Paul says, this is why I put you in Crete, that you might put things in order. He says, hey, you're going to need elders because there is heresy being preached on that island. Here you need elders. But notice at the bottom of of, of verse 9, he, speaking of the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction. There the teaching thing is there again. You see it again in chapter 2, verse 1. Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. You see it in chapter 2, verse 3. Older women do not be slanderers or slaves to much wine. They too are to teach what is good. Verse 5, so that the word of God may not be reviled. Verse 7, in your teaching show integrity. Verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Verse 15, declare these things. Do you see that the, the, what's being plucked throughout the entire book of Titus is the importance of teaching the word of God with words. There's a famous saying in church history, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. I make the case to you, you can preach the gospel without good deeds, but you cannot preach the gospel without good words. Here's what this means, and I think this is an area for us to grow in. Friendship evangelism is great, right? It's good. And and that model of evangelism is as we meet non-believers in the world, our goal is to befriend them. And we befriend them by having them over for dinner. That's a good deed. It's a good thing to do. That when they have a baby, maybe we send the dad a cigar. When they have a baby, maybe we cook them a meal and walk it over, right? When they're gone out of town, maybe we go get their mail. These are all good deeds. We all should be doing them. But here's the thing. Paul would say that our good deeds alone don't point people to the hope of the gospel. That what they need is the word. They need a a little less of the friendship and more of the evangelism. I think we can can kind of grow in that, right? 
You see, on the island of Crete, a person who is lazy, who doesn't want to work, have to be reminded that you were made in the image of God. And God worked. And God worked in six days, and he made everything you see, and then he rested. And in your theology, you have flipped things upside down, and there are consequences for that. But there is reconciliation offered to you in the gospel because Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, came down to do a work that you might enter into his rest. People have to hear that you're behaving like animals, but you were made in the image of God, not after their image. They have to hear that the consequences of lying and not telling the truth and the character of God who values the truth and who punishes and judges liars. They have to hear the good news that one who knew no sin took upon sin on a cross to pay the penalty for your lying and your laziness and your beastly behaviors that you might be made clean, that the people in the world need to hear the full gospel. And that's what Paul keeps telling Titus over and over and over again. Women teach it. Elders teach it. Pastors teach it. Children's ministries teach it. He's, he's building a case that the way to do ministry on the island of on the island of Crete proclaim the good news proclaim it and use words from the gospel from the bible i don't know about y'all but when we were in covid in the middle at the beginning we got text threads with several people And somebody might say, hey, we found tissue at Walmart. You got to go get that tissue, right? We found a deep freezer at Cowboy Maloney, and and we got on the text, hey, they got small deep freezers at Cowboy Maloney. They only got one left. If you want it, you got to go. Somebody finds Lysol or Clorox wipes in another store. We're going all over. Now, Now, why are we doing that? We're doing that because there's a virus coming. And we care enough about the people that when we find things that will help them not get sick, then we're on our phones, we're in our group meetings, we're getting on social media saying, hey, tissue over here, get it. Now, here's the question that I think Jesus will put before us. If the wrath of God is coming... And if there's a sickness that's far worse than COVID that kills the body and the soul, will Christians get on the line and tell the world there's a way out? There's a savior and he's good. You see, I think that's what Paul is telling Titus and telling us that as we want to be faithful in our city, we should never jettison teaching. This right here, the word of life, this matters. But our deeds matter. And so Paul is going to talk a lot about good works. So when we talk about being a church committed to the kingdom, we're seeing it. And we're committed to seizing opportunities to to talk about this and to point people here with the, the good news of the gospel. 
And after that, it's the good deeds. They matter. That Paul says when the grace of God comes, it brings salvation, right? It brings salvation for all people. But it also brings sanctification. That grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That salvation comes. It's as if Paul personifies grace here. Grace is doing something that people normally do. Notice he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. But that's the, that bringing salvation is the same root word to what he says about the Savior, Jesus Christ, at the bottom. And so Paul is personifying grace as if grace is alive. Grace is coming and it's saving people, but it's also training us to die to sin and to say yes to righteousness. It's training us. It's, it's, it's like a personal trainer. You ever had a personal trainer? Maybe in CrossFit or Orange Theory or wherever. What do personal trainers do? They come alongside of you. They look at what's coming in your body and what work can we do to get you in the best shape of yourself, right? They're helping you think about what's coming in and, and they're correcting form and they're, they're, they're giving you a plan like this is the way towards health. And what Paul is saying is that the grace of God works like that. The grace of God, when it shows up, it's the, the, the Holy Spirit working with us and cooperating with the good news to remind us that, hey, that'll destroy your marriage and that will ruin friendships and that will hurt the body of Christ and that will hurt your neighbor and that will blow up uh, your job. And, 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 and yes, you get this right and, 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 and doing this, will, it will promote peace and it will promote shalom and it will be a blessing and flourishing. And, and when you fall, the grace of God comes along and says, it's okay, get up because you've been pardoned. We'll try again tomorrow. That Paul envisions the grace of God that comes to us from the king and from the throne of the king as being alive and active to what end? To the end of producing good works in his people, not just in the future when we're glorified, but right now as we wait for glorification. Good work is another theme that is all in Titus. When Paul is talking about those who profess to know God, but they deny him by their works, he says they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And chapter 2, verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Chapter 2, verse 14, that Jesus has redeemed you from lawlessness to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. So you see that? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. When you're on the island and you are engaging with civilians, you're engaging with those in politics and in government, even they're Christian. Do good work right there, Christian. 
The saying is trustworthy. Chapter 3, verse 8, I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Chapter 3, 14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Do you see the other chord that Paul is striking in Titus? It's the role that our good works play in our lives, Christian. That as we pursue godliness and holiness, that God is pleased to use the preaching of the word and the, the, the sharing of the good news coupled with good works by all in your workplace as you vote, as you take walks, as you deal with the poor. And here's what Paul is doing. I think what he's trying to get them to see is don't be discouraged by the world you live in and how evil it is. Rather, you stick out like a sore thumb. When they lie, you tell the truth. When they're unbridled, you model self-control. When they resist and are agitators, you be a peacemaker. When they throw their hands up, you forbear. Because the church begins to stand out as something foreign and something different. And when the world sees the light of the church, coupled with the church, sharing the good news that God is pleased to show out. That's the invitation for us, Redeemer. Yesterday, some of us got together here to pray. And uh, one of the ladies in our prayer group, as we were praying in these rooms here where Pastor Zach will preach the word, we prayed for the preaching of the word. And we walked to the youth center where crafts will be there and we prayed that these crafts will be little Ebenezer's that when these kids take these crafts home and you know where they're gonna end up, in a toy box or, or smashed along the refrigerator, right? We prayed, Lord, let these be Ebenezer's that these kids can see and remember all that happened. And someone prayed, Lord, May our work in these classrooms not undo what's preached in this pulpit. May we be patient with these kids. May we be gracious. May we find joy in serving them. May our hearts from those who are picking up food, to those who are making ice cream, to those who are sweeping up trash, to those who are leading crafts, May all of our hearts be good and may it adorn the good news that's going out from the pulpit. That's what I want for us, Redeemer. That we would be a place and a people. That our message and our conduct align with the one who is beautiful, who's rescued us. 
May it be so. Let's pray. Father, we bless you, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will make us more like you. I pray that you will give us a firm grasp of the good news of the gospel. I pray that as we study it and read it and make much of it in our own lives, that as we move towards those around us who don't know you, that you will give us courage, courage to rightly handle the word of truth. Father, I also pray for uh, our own good works. It's really easy, Lord, to be either or. Either we'll preach the gospel and not care about good works, or we will do good works and not lean into the gospel. Father, make us and people who will care about both. Thank you that you put us here in this city for the sake of your elect, those in this room and those who are yours who have yet to come to faith. Use our own ministries, our own relationships, our own friendships, our own vocations to spread the glory and the beauty of your kingdom, that your name might be praised. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn together. Thank you.